0: Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura
1: Carlson. It's day 114 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Today, we go straight to our main story. As the United States prepares to celebrate its independence this weekend, Bloomberg executive editor Brian Bremner reflects on what the spread of the virus tells us about our country. The US is home to the highest number of COVID-19 cases, 2.6 million and counting, and the most deaths at more than 127,000. The reasons for that are at least in part very American ones. Politicized science, a fragmented media landscape, and inequality. I talked to Brian about how decades of political division have made the country a coronavirus superpower in the worst way. An outcome that was entirely avoidable.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City, Qatar, and premier sponsor q Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cartereconomicforum.com.
1: How have we come to a point in the United States where an element of public health, a face mask. How has that become so politicized?
2: I think the reason things have become so politicized are kind of come from two buckets. I mean, the near term one has been the response of the Trump administration to this crisis. Uh, The mixed messaging between the president and his top scientific advisors certainly has created a, a fog around what the real risks are. The vulnerabilities that have developed in the US that actually go back decades and have made this pandemic perhaps even worse than you know one would expect.
1: What are some of these elements that perhaps have led us to this moment in the United States?
2: Science has become politicized, not always, but in certainly in kind of controversial big public policy moments. There often isn't a standard set of facts that everyone agrees to. And that's not a recent phenomenon. It actually goes back, if you think about it, to the 1950s when the scientific community started to recognize health threats from cigarettes. Science was kind of caught up in a taffy pull between competing interests over a very big, multi billion dollar industry. Uh, we're also seeing this kind of politicization of science in the debate over climate change and the risks that go with that. We're all familiar with the anti-vaxxer movement, you know, the concerns about the safety of, of vaccines. That's been going on for quite quite some time. So what we're experiencing now is not new in that sense.
1: When governments and particularly say the scientific community is recommending something like say the wearing of face masks. And we don't see Necessarily, the same politicization, or even say a negative reaction to these kinds of recommendations globally, except in the U.S. Is this something that speaks to perhaps Americans' unique distrust of science
2: in Europe, uh, where the the disease curve on COVID nineteen is trended down? I think there is a, a more of a willingness to accept the advice of public health authorities. Not every country does it perfectly. One could argue that the United Kingdom has had some issues, but by and large, I think people, the public does buy in to what the experts tell them about public health uh, guidance. Situation in the U.S. is interesting. You know, one would, would immediately assume that, well, maybe there's an issue with education that most Americans don't grasp scientific concepts. But that's actually not true. I mean, if you look at a lot of the international testing data on high school students uh, in the U.S., they score above average of the OECD in basic science aptitude. If you look at the science aptitude of registered Democrats and registered Republicans, there are no big differences there either. And I think most uh, a majority of Americans see the value of science. However, when science intersects with controversial public policy in the U.S., something kind of runs off the rail and it doesn't quite happen uh, to the same degree in, in other parts of the industrialized world. And a lot of polling data has kind of looked at this. And it does seem that you know, Democrats and Democratic-leaning voters are willing to accept what a uh, uh, Dr. Fauci tells them, uh, and it's about thirty points less uh, lower in the in the Republican Party in the public or Republican orbit. A lot of that has to do with kind of the changing political basis of the major parties. You know, a lot of people. Forget that you know. In the 1980s, the Republican Party was the party of the well-educated, the suburban uh, world. Uh, That's shifted over the last couple decades uh, to a less educated base of of reporters. But also, the rhetoric employed by uh, Republican politicians can be different at times, and we've seen that certainly with the Trump administration just not having a grasp of the basic facts, um, kind of a wishful thinking in the public discourse. And as I said, it's created a tremendous amount of confusion.
1: And particularly, I was wondering if you might speak to maybe the differences we've seen and perhaps lack of leadership we've seen, both on the federal level with the Trump administration, but also, of course, we have each of the 50 states taking their, their own path, essentially, that, you know, we haven't necessarily seen a unified approach in how states should go about addressing this pandemic, reopening, locking down those kinds of elements.
2: Well, that's an interesting thought, because when you have a rapidly moving, shape-shifting pandemic across a huge country uh, the size of the U.S., where you have you know, urban centers with heavy population density, uh, and then rural parts of the country where the healthcare systems aren't quite as developed, you would think a rational way of doing this would be to have a kind of a one-size-fits-all directive where everything is kind of synchronized. So everyone kind of went into the same degree of lockdown more or less. I'm sure there would be you know, nuances here and there because there are differences. Um, but by and large, same policy same lockdown same reemergence and of course that's not what happened here and if you contrast that with different political systems maybe at the the far extreme china which is an autocratic system when their crisis broke out they basically quarantined 50 million people they had no ch- no say in the matter they had no choice in the matter and it was a draconian you know top down we're not messing around approach. Now, in open societies and democratic societies, you can't do that, of course. But if you look at Germany, which has done pretty well, there was kind of a concerted approach uh, that was communicated very clearly. There was no contradicting uh between what uh Merkel said and her top science advisors, uh, and the population uh maybe a little bit more culturally cohesive than a heterogeneous society like the U.S. But that point aside, yeah, they got it and there was a concerted move and they had a good outcome. The U.S. has been very chaotic.
1: And so I was wondering maybe if we could also unpack perhaps the extent to which this pandemic has exposed existing cracks in the U.S. system um, in terms of income inequality, racial inequality, I mean, how is the US, say, uniquely positioned to be so adversely affected by this pandemic in contrast to, say, some of these other countries?
2: There is a very uh, interesting link between inequality, which has been a corrosive problem for several decades in the US, and the experience of the pandemic. If you have a good job, you're part of the knowledge economy you work in an urban center, uh, you are able to work from home, your company is still doing pretty well. The pandemic has certainly been disruptive to your life, but it hasn't been an outright crisis. Unfortunately, the, the, the burden of this pandemic is really falling on lower income, minority uh, segments of, of the society. I mean, that's clear in the data, uh, it's clear in the black uh, mortality rate, which is more than twice that of the white population of the United States. So people are experiencing the pandemic in, in different ways, and that's creating a, a lot more cultural you know, resentment and misunderstanding about how serious this is. If you're you know, highly educated, as I said, a white collar worker, uh, and you've got a secure job the money's still coming through the door, this may not seem quite as life-altering if, is, as if you were working in the hospitality industry and kind of living paycheck to paycheck, certainly.
1: And so is there a way forward for the U.S.? I suppose this is the big question. We are looking at record case counts now. Is there a path forward for the U.S. to navigate this crisis?
2: Well, there seem to be two broad Possibilities. I mean, one is a decision's been made that we have to kind of let this thing run its course, as as awful as it can uh, be or will be. But the alternative of of shutting down the economy in any kind of serious way creates another set of problems, and we need to just kind of soldier through this. That is the kind of the the, the choice that some people. In Washington, particularly on the Republican side, are, are kind of positioning out there that it's an either-or: either we muscle our way through this, or we do so much economic damage that it's just going to be as awful. I think the public health experts uh, offer a different kind of possibility uh, and describe that as kind of a false choice: that until we get real deadly serious about, you know, social distancing, masks, hand washing. Uh, Altering our lifestyle uh, in such a way to get this, uh, the spread, the community spread down to a reasonable level. uh, The economy is never going to come back because you're going to be in this fits and starts kind of scenario. So one thing we might to look for, I think, is whether you start to see mandatory rules at the local level that you know you need to wear a mask. If you don't wear a mask, you will be fined. If you are a business. And you have not uh, rethought your business processes to make it as safe as possible. Your license is going to get pulled. I mean, more of a hardcore government-led policing of 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 the preventative behaviors that we need to see to get through this crisis. Because what we've had so far has been kind of a giant honor system, uh, where we've you know been kind of assuming that Americans will kind of figure this out. They'll read up on it. They'll do whatever they have to do at the household level to keep everyone as safe as possible. And, you know, I think a lot of Americans have done that, but unfortunately it doesn't take a, a, a lot of people to, to trigger these super spreader incidents that set this virus on fire. And unfortunately that's kind of where we're at right now.
1: That was Brian Bremner. His essay, The Virus and America's Divisions, can be read on Bloomberg.com. And that's it for our show. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is produced by Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspure, Magnus Henriksen, and me, Laura Carlson. Today's main story was reported by Brian Bremner. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Rick Schein and Francesca Levy. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening.